Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 307 RPG Podcast. I'm Patrick. And I'm Nolan. I'm Zach. Fellas, it's been a spell. It has been. Yeah. Uh, between COVID and life, we have just not been able to connect at all. So how are you guys doing? Hanging in there. Doing good. Uh, yeah. Elden Ring came out on Friday, so I'm two days into that, but... All right, so I've That's seen it advertised. It. What is Elden Ring? Because I've seen it advertised. It's just Dark Souls 4. Open world Dark oh, Souls. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, they just decided to uh, make the biggest Dark Souls they could, but it's just Dark Souls 4. Okay. Written by George R. R. Martin. Really? Yeah. I guess they uh, the development crew went over and hung out with him for a couple days in Santa Fe. And then he uh, did all the world building. Interesting. I can okay. kind of, you can kind of, you can kind of see it. But that's cool. So, like, the main character is getting killed all the time. Yes, actually, yes. But the, you get to come back. So fair, fair. <laughs> How about you, Nolan? Anything fun? Nothing too exciting. Just like you said, work and dodging sickness and yep. hanging out with the family. Yeah, yeah, it's about. That's about it. Um, not much can work. Um, unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, I work in a nursing home. So unfortunately, we did have a COVID outbreak. And fortunately, we've come through that COVID outbreak. But I tell you what, you don't go to a COVID outbreak and think, oh, we're going to be done in two or three days. No, you go into a COVID outbreak and go, well, here comes the next five weeks. Yeah, and it is. Yeah. Yeah. We're finally coming to the tail end of it and we've made it through okay. And I think we're, you know, the residents are coming through okay. Staff is starting to come back to work and be okay. So yeah, it's been it's been interesting. A whole lot of long, long hours. Nice to be on the other side of it at least. It really is. Other than that, the only thing I've been doing for fun is I started rereading Eye of the World. And it is, you know, I read that book when I was like 15 or 16 years old. It is everything I remember it being, and I'm absolutely thoroughly loving it. Good. Yeah, really good book. Conversely, <laughs> as we were coming back from Laramie this past weekend, Shri decided to put on a book on tape, which uh, she chose a book called Lost Souls by Poppy Z. Bright. This is a book that her uh -huh. and I both read when it first came out in the early 90s, and we loved it. We're listening to it and going, why did we love this book? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it happens. It does. It does. You know, just, you know, you read things at a certain time in your life and you're like, wow, this is amazing. And then you read it later. You're like, what the fuck was wrong with me? Yeah. Why did I like this? I think I went yeah. through that Lincoln Park phase, right? When after a girl breaks up with you and, you know, you just, right. Right. I know. I actually still no. I like Lincoln Park. So <laughs> I, I, yeah, that's a sign that we're getting old. It comes back around. You're like, yeah, I guess it wasn't so bad in the moment. It oh, hit a little man. different, but. Uh, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> All right. So we are diving back into our topic of Tolis. Uh, last time. Our chapters one and two. So today we're going to be looking at chapters three and four. Now, I know it's been a couple weeks since we've talked about Tolis. Just so everybody remembers, this is Tolis, Monty Cook City by the Spire. This was released by Monty Cook Games. It was a Kickstarter project that Nolan backed. This is a massive tome of like 800 pages long. You can purchase it at MontyCookGames.com. There will be a link in the show notes. Uh, and then if we did mention, um, as we were talking earlier, we talked about the Mal Havoc Press Tolis that came out. And I got a note from somebody that told us, or we had a comment from somebody that mentioned that the Mal Havoc Press Tolis is actually, is the D&D 3 slash 3.5 version. So if you're okay. interested in that version of Tolis, you still, you can still get it. So, and I believe that's the version that's on DriveThruRPG. Okay. Yeah. So I just wanted to mention that. So if folks are confused, that's why. Uh, so it's the Malhavic Press is three DD three slash three point five. Um, but with all that in mind, let's jump into chapter three. We're just going to dive right into this. And chapter three gets us a chance to look at the different races within the world of Pr Primal. Is that how you say it? Works for me. I've been saying primal, but primal primal, primal works too. Right. <laughs> we're going to, we'll discuss in a minute why it's called that. So, but we're going to talk about the races. These are the kind of, of the city of Tolis in, uh, 
They start with dwarves, and well, I figured I'm the dwarf lover, so I could maybe talk about the dwarves, then we'll turn the elves over to Nolan because he loves elves. Does that sure. seem fair? Cool. I gotta guess. So, of course, it's all alphabetical. That's why we're starting with dwarves. So, yes, of course, there are dwarves in the city of Tolis. There are different types of dwarves. We have the Grail Warden dwarves, the Stone Might dwarves, uh, which are now called the Stone Lost dwarves, and the Earth Singers. The Earth Singers, it sounds like this is a tribe that very few people actually know about. They're not as commonplace as some of the others. Uh, they say that no one has heard from the Earth Singers for over a millennia. Their king or their queen was kidnapped by the dread one, Eslathagos Malkith, and has never returned. And it caused the tribe to just, you know, fall apart and go into non-existence, if you will. So those are your mo those are the different dwarves within Tolos. The most common um, are going to be. See, I had all this planned out and now I forgot everything that I was going to say. I think the most common ones are going to be the stone lost dwarves. Isn't that correct, guys? Sounds like. Yeah, I think I think so. Yeah. So we should talk about Dwarven Hearth. Dwarven Hearth was an ancient Dwarven city. And apparently uh, the stone lost dwarves dwelled within that city and they have lost that city and are now have been driven out of their ancestral home. Now they live in Tolis, but they live kind of in the outskirts around the entrances of Dwarven Hearth. So they don't necessarily go into the city. I would imagine Dwarven Hearth can be used as a campaign setting, much like Myth Draenor was in the Forgotten Realms. Here we have an ancient dwarven city in this case where you can send your adventurers in to collect ancient dwarven artifacts and come out with all sorts of prizes and riches and possibly fight some nastiness inside. Did I break out there? Nope. Yay, good. Yeah, yeah, good. <laughs> so dwarven hearth and the stone lost dwarves. I mean, you could have like a stone lost dwarf. I could just see it like, you know, the adventurers are sitting at a tavern, a stone lost dwarf. And you just cut out again. What the hell? I'm sorry. Is it, uh, you want to try raising your voice and see if it's just like the gating on your mic? Well, I've, I've got pushed to talk on. Oh, maybe it's, it does like a weird little robotic sound and then cuts out. Interesting. Usually that means I have a bad internet connection, but I can see my connection's really good right now. Can you hear me now? Yep. Yep. Yeah. My microphone's connecting and disconnecting for some reason. Uh Oh, let me give me a minute. Hold on. Okay, that's good. In fact, Nolan, if you want to jump ahead and start talking about the elves, if you two want to talk about the elves, so I get this figured out, then we can circle back to the dwarves. Okay. 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 Sounds good. Uh, next up, we have the elves. And when we look at these guys here, it seems like it's very classic what you know from 3.5 elves. Uh, worship the moon. We're high and powerful at one point. A lot of that stuff is passed on into a next generation. Um, they are very much the... Uh, uh, like good food, wine. Uh, they are very hoity-toity, I guess, as Zach would describe them. <laughs> very rarely are they of lawful alignment because they're carefree, open spirits. They're not going to be confined. They live long enough to know that this too shall pass type situation. Looks like there's a couple uh, uh, types of elves, but most common elves that you're going to run to in this uh, game is shoal elves, uh, dark-haired with deep smoldering eyes. The shoals have always been just as much at home at the sea and on the land, which I guess makes sense for being on a coastal city. Um, they are by far the most common type of elf. In fact, people simply just call them elves. And if you refer to an elf, uh, it is just assumed that it is a shoal elf unless you get hyper-specific with it. Very much preferring to be on the sea. So I think that's kind of the... I don't know, everything we know about elves, it, it kind of feels like they just kind of took this over. It felt very Tolkien-esque, just a, a very typical elf, nothing too wild here, nothing too crazy. The only thing that they kind of, I think in the elder days, you know, they kind of just lump gnomes and halflings into being elves. And as people have moved on in this world, they've kind of given them their own, oh, you're not like a, necessarily a subspecies. What are you? So, uh, yeah, elves wear blues, light greens, love the sea, live a long time. I mean, that's... That, that's these elves. There are some elves that live underground. Uh, and in this version, they are still very much trying to take care of their own thing and are fighting for the forces of not so good. Uh, and I believe that is also kind of tied into part of adventuring under the city of Tolis as well. Uh, there you run across them and their, their group and what they're up to for not so good uh, adventuring party people, maybe find some friends and for the heroes, figure out what they're doing and try and stop them. Yep, you can always, yeah. 
Uh, I think a big part of Tolis is going down underneath it, where the dwarves and the harrow elves and all that jazz. So you need a place for your adventurers to go down and uh, attack things with swords. And they're not drow in this; they're just called harrow elves. Right. right. And I believe that uh, as you as you play through this, I think it it does kind of have the uh, the campaign setting where your first few levels are dealing with street level type situation. Uh, but once you start to take notice to find anything of adventure, you have to go underground and deal with what's happening down there. And then eventually, once you deal with what's happening up there, the only thing left for you is to head up the spire. And so you can kind of see the the three tiers of play really lay out in front of you as you play this game. I thought it was interesting. First off, can you guys hear me? Can I hear yep. you? I'm just going to attempt to not touch the microphone at all, which I wasn't doing before. But um, I like the fact that they talk about how the show elves have to or will always want to live near or on the sea. And if they can't live near or on the sea, they will live in the forest because they consider that the sea of leaves. I really like that distinction. Um, And I also like the idea of the city. Zach, you mentioned the drow and being underneath, and they talk about the city of Dreadafantis, the dreaming city, that it was magically stolen by the dark elves. And and so there, and again, you have like like the dwarven city, you have that other city that you can start exploring. So there is a whole world up as well as a whole world down that you can explore within Tolis. Yeah. I feel like the elf section is very 3.5, like Nolan said. Like, I think you can still feel the influence of uh, the design, you know, crew who were still trying to just make an updated second edition where Elf was not like a race. It was a class that you played. I think they're really trying to bring that Tolkien influence. You can really feel it in here where, yeah, they really want people to play as elves. I, I Zach, you mentioned Tolkien influence and no one's mentioned Tolkien influence. And, and I have to mention because I just thought it was hilarious. I saw this this earlier. Zach, you said before that the word elves and dwarfs, that was uh-huh. that was written by Tolkien, correct? Isn't that what you think? Uh, it used to be elves and then dwarfs. And but he, put he the is actually the one who put the V on there. So I guess his editor told him that that is not the proper way to do that as written in the Oxford dictionary. And his yeah. response was, I wrote the Oxford dictionary. I know the proper way to do this. Yeah. Which I think is hilarious. I love that. Yeah. You're not yeah, going to get too carried away with telling him how to do things. Right. Yeah. I, I think, I think it was a thing where when um trying to recreate old English and things like that, he came to the conclusion that these things wouldn't have been just S for plural, that they would have changed the thing. So I think that's where that came from. Um, Absolute genius. Yeah. All right. Shall we circle back to the dwarves then? Yeah. Yes, sir. So the dwarves, as we were talking about earlier, um, the Stone Lost Dwarves are originally from Dwarven Hearth. They were removed from their city. Uh, They were driven out of their ancient city by Gull hundreds of years ago. they refuse to go back, and it's not known why they refuse to go back, but they do live in and around the outskirts of Dwarven Hearth underneath Tolis. I have to imagine, as I keep trying to say, that Dwarven Hearth would be a great place that you can send adventurers, kind of like the Dreaming City for the Elves, where you can send them down and have them investigate, you know, what, you know enter the city of Dwarven Hearth. Uh, find some ancient dwarven artifacts. This could be a whole campaign. I like the fact that Tolis is a city by the the, the spire, right? The city by the spire. So you can have this whole campaign that goes up as well as a campaign that's going down. So so there's there's that old, uh, we'll say pagan, uh, saying as below or as above, same below. So I'd imagine there's going to be a lot of depth that you can explore uh, within these two cities. Yeah, I think it's a I think it's a necessary byproduct of that putting like your campaign in the city of being like, well, maybe I don't want to go like deal with thugs or terrorists or like coups or whatever, like all the things that take place in very like dense urban settings. It's like, what if I want to just go to a dungeon? It's like, right. Well, it's got to be on top of dungeons then, you know, and there has to be a super dungeon that's hanging over the city. But I think it's it's a nice way to keep 
all of that inside the city and have it make sense. Yeah, I know when I played AD&D 2nd Edition, Myth Draenor was one of our favorite campaign settings because you could go in and explore certain parts of the city and it felt like individual dungeons for each one. And you were able to get riches and fight you know, monsters, of course, at the end of each of those levels and still have this whole dungeon exploring experience without going through the entire city. And I'm hoping that that's something that, that uh, DMs can do when it comes to these different cities of like Dwarven Hearth and the Dreaming City. I hope anyway. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a great addition to have. It's also a nice little tie back, like being able to play a dwarf and be like, I'm going to go back to dwarf home. Yeah. And you got absolutely. a family member. All of your family is like, no, you can't do that. Yeah, it gives you that whole um, Balin going back to Moria feel, right? We are yeah. going to reclaim this city. We are going to do this. Yeah. And then yeah. like also it being forbidden, like here. everyone around you telling me you, you can't do it. And it's like. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I think more than anyone else of everything that I have read, I think the dwarves have the best like hooks for being in the city. It could be. So let's talk about the other type of dwarves, the Grail Warden dwarves, because there's three types. The Grail Warden dwarves are from the Preston Peninsula. Um, you know, it's, they're not as common in Tolis as as the the Stone Lost dwarves, but they do they do still come down. They're usually very serious, they're dedicated, hardworking, but they're not seen as being as gruff or as unsociable as other dwarves. Uh, one of the things that they do with each of these uh, each of these races is they do talk about their alignment. They tell you that usually like dwarves are not always or don't tend to be chaotic, which is counter to what I usually do because I love playing chaotic neutral because I just want the option to do whatever the hell I want without suffering any sort of Ill, Ill, well, Ill effects. Well, that's why you got to go adventuring. That's right. Although I love the story. Nolan tells you the story sometimes about uh, a lawful evil character that he played that completely changed the city and all sorts of craziness. You don't have to do your business underground when you have a king in your pocket. So that's right. As long as you work within the law, you can still do bad things. Yeah. You'd probably get away with more. I mean, honestly, <laughs> yeah. look at our world, right? Like a prime example. This is true. Zach, you want to talk about gnomes and halflings? I mean, I would love to because it is the easiest section. In fact, I'm just going to talk about <laughs> humans right afterwards. Um, Fair enough. So gnomes and halflings, like Nolan had mentioned in the world of Tolis, they were just at one point considered to be types of elves. Which I think is interesting since humans are the youngest of the races so who was considering them to be types of elves dwarves other elves uh you have uh gnomes and halflings are pretty standard um if you've played DD any other editions this kind of just makes sense uh the only thing is that halfling used to be a derogatory term they do prefer quickling um, and then uh, uh for humans they're just considered to be the youngest species I, there's that Tolkien influence again of them coming in last. Uh, and they're just kind of there. They're the most populous in the city. Uh, it's mostly humans. And then I think after that is gnomes and then elves, dwarves and halflings. So gnomes, halfling, human, they're standard. Very standard. Just, uh, just some are tiny. Others have hairy feet. That's just how it goes now. Um, so those are the major species, and I think those are the ones right. that we all understand. Um, but coming up after that are the uh, more obscure ones. Yeah, you want to start us off with the the Aram? Sure. So the Aram is what uh, they call themselves, but we recognize them as centaurs. Known for being boisterous, uh, arrogant, boorish, um, likable nonetheless. I think kind of like a classic centaur take. You know, these uh, vaguely steppe nomad inspired and like Greek idea of like really intelligent, but also still very wild, very dangerous to be around. And they're super freaking tall, super tall, super big. Um, they do have stats if you would like to play as one. Uh, one ability score increases by two, another by one. Uh, usually neutral good. I think the big thing is that you get a base walking speed of 50 feet. So if you're going to you play, can ass. you can haul. So if you play a monk or a barbarian, you're going to have between 60 to 110 feet. 
per as your walking speed. I just got this vision of the monk centaur donkey kicking this shit out of things. Exactly. Yep. Uh, you also get proficiency in two skills, which I think um, character creation wise is always a really big deal. Uh, not a, not a lot else, but um, you're always going to use your skills. Like if you get a weapon proficiency, but you play a wizard, there was no point to it. Every character will use their skills. So it talks about their hooves dealing 2d6 bludgeoning damage. Do you think there's any way, as if you're a monk, that you can increase that? No. Because eventually... No, uh, no, because eventually uh, your unarmed strikes max out at d10. Uh, So that's really good. Yep. Yeah, kick in the face, quack. Yeah, so it's like a weird thing where I think a monk centaur would be pretty messed up. Just going 110 feet every six seconds, making four attacks of 2d6. That's pretty gross. It'd be pretty gross. And they they go into a lot of like they talk about where they come from. They talk about a little bit of like the religion, the languages that they typically have. Um, So they they give you a lot of detail. Although this is a minor um, character or species, they still give you plenty of detail that you could flesh out a full character here. There's a ton. And I, I think I need to uh, specify that they're like a minor. I'm going to air quote that only in relation to their presence in the city. Right. Um, much like any of these like so-called minor species, it's not that they're like dying or diminished. They're just, it's a city, right? And Tolis doesn't have a high centaur population. Um, same with any of these, the cherubim, the Leonid. So I think that's another nice little hook of being like, if you're going to be a centaur, you probably weren't born here. So the reason to come to the city, like, why are you here? What could you be like? Why would a centaur be coming to the, you know, to New York City fresh off the boat? Um, Absolutely. So I think there's I think there's some hooks there. Uh, I think the biggest difference that I can tell um, between them and the other peoples is that centaurs don't worship a pantheon. They pick a specific aspect of a goddess named uh, Milan, and that's what they worship. No praying to anything else. Like, that's your patron deity. Whereas I think the rest of everyone else is like, yeah, there's a lot of them. Did we, do we need to circle back? Did we talk about half-elves and half-orcs? I know it's a Ooh. super, super small section, but I yeah, think we skipped over that because they're, they're one of the major species. Nolan, you want to take that? Because you it, love playing half-elves. I think if you have a half-something, it's probably going to be a lot more common in Tolis. So go ahead and do what you want to do uh, just because it is a, a melting pot of people coming together with not... I don't know. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of the, the classic uh, hate or fighting. It's, hey, we're all here. We're all kind of doing this thing for you know to be in it together and so i think the uh at least if any places if you are going to be in half elf or a half orc or half something it's probably fairly common that you would probably be from tolis so yeah and they do very they're very specific in saying that if you're a half elf you are half shoal elf you are not cherubim elf because the cherubim will never pair with a human and if you're half orc you are ornu nam and so they're very specific in saying, you know, this is what you will be, which is interesting because they do talk like about the the NPC uh, species that they say these are the NPCs, but talk with your DM and see if it's OK to play something different. This one, they're very specific about this is what you're going to be if you're half elf or half orc. Yeah. And yeah, again, I'm using the stat blocks from five point or, you know, five point oh. So not any there's like no penalties or anything like that. It just sets a little bit of your flavor. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the reason, yeah, I guess the reason for why there's no like half harrow elves is that uh, a human harrow hybrid creates a, a a harrow elf. Yeah. And, and again, like so. with the cherubim elves, which I'll talk about the cherubim elves next, uh, they, they are very clear that they will not meet with a human. Um, and it could be because of their size, because cherubim elves remind me of Tinkerbell. When I was reading through that, I was like, oh, look, Tinkerbell. Um, yeah. You're, yeah. You're a small. Uh, elven creature with wings and they say instead of fighting they just fly the hell out of there which that sounds great 
Uh, they tend to be uh, self-absorbed. Uh, they tend to be uh, somewhat timid, preferring to fly over or away from danger rather than confront it. They're aware of their physical fragility. They know that the best way for them to survive is to stay wary and alert. So it talks about their physical descriptions as being thin, frail, and e even by elven standards, their skin is very pale to the point that it's almost white. Their hair is typically black, pale blonde, or white. And their feathers on their wings always match their hair color. And their wingspan is usually three times their height. So it's, you know, it's a small creature that, like I said, it, it reminded me of Tinkerbell. Obviously, it's going to be a lot larger than Tinkerbell, but it kind of reminds me of that. Uh, so if you have the desire to play that, there you go. You can you can absolutely do it. It talks about their ability score. You can or it, one ability score of your choice increases by one. Your size as you're the same size as Sholov, but thinner and more frail. Your size is considered medium. Your base walking speed is 30 and you have a flying speed of 40. So the other thing is, is that you are frail. So you have a disadvantage on your constitution saving throws, which, as we all know, will make a break a game or a character's life for that matter. Definitely is a, a negative. So there's a reason to fly yeah. the hell away. Yep. Yeah. No, you, you want to talk go Harrow Elves, Nolan? Sure. So Harrow Elves, uh, not necessarily uh, created out of love and, and niceness. Um, when Gold the Half God captured the Shoal and Elder Elves from the Moonseed Forest, he herded them into a dungeon beneath Gold Golgameth, or Mel, his dark fortress halfway up the spire. There he and his Domic servants twisted their bodies and spirits. So now we've kind of got a take on, I don't say Urukai, but similar in that vein of uh, corrupted from the first elves. So after he finished corrupting these these fine, once fine folks, uh, he released them back into the world to basically show contempt for all that was good and pure and demonstrate his ability to unmake anything. Um, these creatures here, after all this time, her elves are kind of twisted on the inside with bitterness and hate um, as much as their flesh is twisted and deformed on the outside. They uh, so not typically pretty. It really does feel like uh, Urukai from that standpoint of remade into something horrible. Uh, Harrow elves have the same general build as other elves. Their bodies are typically bear horrible birthmark scars and various deformities. Their flesh is as pale, yellow, white, and their eyes are red. So not your typical drow. Um, actually, the opposite, almost albino. It reminds me or it reminded me of is it the what was the time? Time Traveler show, where he goes, not show, but book. Oh, uh, the Time Machine. H.G. Wells, is that who it was? Or? Yep. Yeah. So we, he gets out there, they, they've lived the underground so long. Yeah, the Morlocks, there we go. They uh, basically hate anything good. Uh, and there you go. They lean towards evil. Some have overcome this thing. You, you do see a few of them as far as making their way up, maybe working for a company, but they are almost fully clothed, uh, masked, look similar to almost like a, a wrapped up leper uh, from that standpoint of hiding what they are so they are not instantly recognized. Uh, if you do choose to uh, make an elf uh, of this kind, they make great adventures because they feel like they have little to live for. Many have a death wish. Uh, and so they might as well find it at the base of combat. Definitely one that I'd, I think you would, one of the ones you talked about, Patrick, where you have uh, your DM's permission to do one. Make sure you have a good story for about what you're doing. They have some fun little base magics. They know Mage Hand, Minor Illusion, Prestigitation, so that magic is pushed into them. You have disadvantage on persuasion checks because nobody likes you just to begin with. And there you go. I think could be fun. Just have a good story. Yeah. So I want to jump ahead a little bit because I think if we spend all this time going over every single player uh, species, it might take up all of our time today. <clears throat> and we still need to talk about the next chapter. So I thought we'd jump ahead. It does talk. The, this chapter does go into like a little bit of um, talking about, you know, species and cultural relations. And then it jumps into some uh, other uh, uh, minor player characters like like the Lytorians, which are. I, they say don't call them cat folk. They they look like walking lions. Um, uh, what are those in uh, Scarlands? The Leonin. The Leonin. Yeah. They're cat folk. Right. Uh, sorry. In game, uh, yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. In game Leonids. But if you're trying to look for one, think like a cat. 
cat folk. Yeah, they. I mean, they look like uh, walking humanoid lions. Yeah, look like a big walking then, lion. Then you have the the Asari, um, which of course immediately I was like, oh, it's the Asafi from some scarred lands. So lots yeah. of similarities there. So that's your lizard folk. Uh, then you get into the NPC species, and this is where I kind of wanted to just jump to real quick because, and we won't spend a lot of time here, but I know like you guys, uh, Nolan in particular, you've played an ASMR, and that is one of the NPC species. So I wanted to mention though that, as I've said before, they they're very specific here. They they say. Um, the following species are reserved only for NPCs and Tolos, although a GM may consider allowing one to be used as a player character. So keep that in mind. Don't just be like, no, you can't do it. Talk to your player. Find out why it is they want to play an ASMR. What is their background? What they got going on? And they also bring in the dark elves here, too. So, I mean, we had the harrow elves who are typically your evil elves. Now we have dark elves. And that's, a, I mean, and they they also go into a lot of telling you that there are those dark elves who I mean, they yes, they tend to be evil. Yes, they tend to be, you know, conniving in everything that we know and love, so to speak, about the dark elves. Yet they they can rise above that and 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 learn to not live underneath and come out of the underdark, if you will, and, and be like a Dritz type character. Tieflings were listed as the NPCs uh, and then and then Minotaurs. Were there any of these NPCs that you guys looked at and thought, man, why would you do that? I would actually would play that type of character here. I mean, I'll I'll go first because uh, maybe no one will have a counterpoint to it. Um, all of them. The idea of like not allowing someone to play as these things seems a little silly to me. Uh, I think it is an honest leftover from 3.5 when all of these uh, races were so powerful that they counted as class levels. Like, okay. like I think a, like I think the drow in three point five, is like a like you start as a second level, drow. You yeah you your base powers is considered that of a second level, but as you gain experience, you gain it at a penalty. So if you're a yeah. halfling fighter, um, you'll hit like level two, and the drow is going to be almost level one type situation. So you were, it was a, it was a weird penalty, but I think it was a, like a CL2 or something like that is what it was called. Yeah. So, um, so it was the Asimir and Tieflings. Yeah. And so I think that's what happened is that they were like, Hey, you know, what are we going to do? These are supposed to be very, very powerful. And I think they just went, they're NPCs, which I think is a okay. little, is a little disappointing because if half elves and half orcs, and centaurs are going to be so rare, but I can still play as them. Why? Why is a dark elf too rare? So that's just my take. Okay. Um, well, and I think again, I, this one for me kind of goes back to story. It needs to be a big deal. Um, Jesus comes back. He doesn't just hang out and go adventuring, right? Like he's you know the little divine being on the planet hanging out with people. You know what I mean? Like it it needs to be something bigger for a purpose. Same with dark elves. If you look at all of the span of what we had for three point five, there was a drow that rose above after millennia of you know it was it was a big deal, a story driven. And so, um, I think the same thing with the tiefling. Like you're half demon, you better have a good reason for being accepted. And so, I think that those are the things that are like you a party of Asamir don't show up and not warp the power and the world. You know what I mean? Like, it's just one of those things. If you're going to do it, it comes with some things. It's going to be story-based. It's a big deal. Like, be prepared for it. And like, just to be like, oh, no, I, yeah, I want to be Dritz. Well, Dritz had a lot of stuff that happened to him before he became what he was. You know, I mean, that's a, that's a huge tale in itself, 20-some books later. And so I think that's kind of the, the the goal there is if you're going to do this, make sure you have permission. It needs to make sense because it, it you know, it just doesn't just doesn't happen every day. There's not herds of Minotaur rolling through. So. Right. Especially when it's probably something that you fight a few times down in the dungeon and all of a sudden it's walking up on the streets. You're probably going to be attacked far before somebody's ever going to have a conversation with you. Orcs are on the NPC list. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think about that? I, I think I it's think a leftover. Too. I mean, I right. think it's a leftover from back when orcs were monsters and not people. Yep, half orcs are. You know, was the stereotypical thing of uh, a barbarian raiding party type situation took 
took out an orc. There was, you know, I felt like a very common thing at 3.5. It was like, yeah, my mom was raped and died in childbirth and I'm a half orc. You know, like I felt like that was, maybe that was just my weird friends, but it felt like that was a common thing of people didn't naturally, humans weren't naturally attracted to orcs. It was always some sort of vile, you know, birth that it was what happened. So I felt like that's a, like you said, it's one of those things that they were monsters. So, Okay. So that's chapter three. Chapter three covers all the species, the the playable species, the NPCs, and the subspecies, or not subspecies, but minor species that you're going to find in Tolis. I think it's a pretty rich list. Yeah. Um, I Honestly, I think that a lot of uh, people coming into this from just like standard fifth edition, especially if they've been buying all the books, might be like, you know, where's where's my Grung? Where's my Goliaths? Where's my whatever? Right. Um, you know, I can't be a half vampire. I'm not playing this game. Uh, Which, and who's to say that we're not going to get it, right? I mean, they're still putting out stuff for Tolas. Yeah, who's to say these things aren't there? Like, you can always talk to your GM and be like, hey, I really want to be Grog from Critical Role. Right. And then like, sure, no problem. Goliaths, yep, they're just in the mountains to the north. You're Here you go. So it's not like you yeah. can't add more, but I, I really appreciate how much, like, direction there is here for the different people that you can be yeah i think it's very succinct it gives you enough that you can get started you can start playing and still have a fairly rich selection to choose from uh with leaving room to grow mm -hmm. and besides the book is almost 800 pages they don't need to add any more yet exactly <clears throat> nolan what are your thoughts Again, I, I think with everything that we have now coming out, this is a fifth edition supplement. Um, you will, they don't, obviously, there's a few things that they give you stat blocks for, but everything seems to be kind of updating and moving forward. I think this will easily plug and play with 5.5. Um, and so with that being said, there's there's no reason why you wouldn't find, uh, you know, a satyr in Tolis. There's no, you know, make it up. The, the place is big enough there's enough shops and homes and things that your warforge can be created here you know make what you want play what you want because at the end of the day i don't feel i don't i don't feel like a, a race of a character being something out of the book has ever warped or changed or felt my table feel unbalanced um if the player's having fun being whatever they are that's way better than them just being like oh i well, I really wanted to be a drow. Well, then be a damn drow. Let's go. Like, I don't know what your hangup is or why you want to do it or whatever, but let's make it work and let's have fun. And that's what we do here. We try and have fun. Right. Just remember you playing a drow shouldn't mean that just you are having fun. If you're going to play a drow just so you can be a dick and an asshole and fuck up everything else, don't play a drow. Well, again, don't have those people at your table. Uh Agreed. Because <laughs> <laughs> I could do that just as much as being a human or an orc. Or, oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Or but a if halfling gonna... or a gnome. You know what I mean? Like, it's not an excuse to be evil. Because, again, right. there are bigger and badder things here. And if you're, you will get caught and you will, you know, get found out by the, with the yeah. wizards or something like that. So. I just hate the idea of somebody saying, and maybe I'm going too far down a rabbit hole, somebody saying, well, I'm a drow. That's why I did it. No, you're a dick. That's why you did it. Yeah. Again. Yeah, it's not it's not the it's not the character. The player is being right. Dead. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's I not like no one says don't have those people at your team. Yeah, just have that conversation. Ed, yep. you know, those are session zeros. Listen, we're yeah. all going to get along. You're all going to know each other. You can have internal fighting. It is what it is. Make sure it stays with the, the theme of the game. Uh, don't try and ruin somebody else's fun. Amen. I want to jump into chapter four now. Um, and chapter four is the creation slash religion slash. I mean, this is like your mini Bible for Tolis, if you will. So the cosmology and religion of Tolis. Uh, I I actually really thoroughly enjoyed this chapter. What did you guys think of it? It's nice to see a lot of it. And I think that's that's probably the hardest transition, I think, for a lot of games is when you're dealing with this stuff. Um, just because it, it it reads super heavy. And so if you have people that aren't into that sort of thing. Like, I'm going to be a cleric. I'm going to be a life cleric. Cool. Who's your God? And it's like, well, there's like 12 that you could pick from. Like, you know, uh, it's not going to mean anything to me, the dumb fighter, you know, that kind of stuff. So it's, it's weird. It's interesting. Uh, it's a lot of information, but I also get worried that sometimes this stuff here gets lost on a lot of people and they can miss out on, like you said, some of this really cool stuff. 
Yeah. So, or before we jump into it, Zach, what is your thought on this chapter? Um, I, I think it's a really, really interesting read. I don't know if it's necessary to read. Like if you're like, Hey, I'm coming to the city. Like I'm an adventurer. I hacked out, I hatched out of my adventurer egg like three days ago and I have a lust for blood and gold and that's it. Like, I don't know if your character is going to need to know this or if it would ever even come up to your game. If the whole point is to go down to dwarf home and explore, but it's really, but it's really, really cool. It is. So if you like so well written. Yeah. If you like reading like about world building and about worlds, it's pretty cool. And I, I swear that the Pathfinder, like standard place, is basically this world. Okay. Like, I think it's very influential on the rest of the game in ways that we didn't really understand. So I don't want to go into a lot of detail in this chapter because we could absolutely get lost in the weeds in this chapter. So I just want to touch lightly on like the idea of the creation of this world. The world is essentially a prison world. It was created by the God, the creator, or some call him primal, 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 however you want to say it on the Valis moon to attract chaos Lords and trap them here. And, and, and unfortunately we, the adventures, the players just happen to be there as well. And there is no getting off of it. There's seven pillars, if you will, seven chains uh, that are guarded that you cannot, you know, you can't get past it. I mean, there's obviously been these battles, these, these celestial wars where that has been an issue. And, and I sh- I'm sure you can create a story along the lines of, yeah, this is what's, you know, there's a cult that's trying to destroy this one celestial, you know, guardian of one of the chains. But is it important for your character to know that they are living on a prison world? Probably not, because it probably in the average person, even the average adventure, it probably doesn't matter it. But but and there's an interesting thing where. So the evil was there first. And then the creator seeded the world with life to fight these evil creatures. So ironically, even if your character doesn't and doesn't need to know about this prison planet, they are the warden. When they go down yeah. and start and start killing, you know, dragons or ropers, you're acting as the warden, even if you don't know it. it yeah, it's great. It, it it really is. But this, I mean, they really dive dove hard into religion in this in this section. So, like Nolan talked about, you know, if you're a live cleric, here's a great if you are going to play a cleric and you want to have that just little bit of character development or or character flair, know who your god is. Like uh, one of the things uh, in our game, our current D and D game, um, Dom talks all the time about his god Silverbeard. Right? He's very specific. Like I'm looking for specific artifacts for Silverbeard. So we talk about what are you doing in your downtime? Well, I'm searching the city. I'm looking for rumors. I'm trying to find stuff that might lead me to an artifact of Silverbeard. He's constantly like, that's a big deal for his character is his God. His God is, you know, at the forefront of everything that his character does. Doesn't always act that way. Sometimes (laughs) it has us all beating our head up against the wall, but Dom does a really good job of making sure that, you know, his character, as he talks about downtime and stuff like that, that he's always, you know, working towards his God. So they, they go really deep into religion. So this is a great chance for a, for a cleric to really dive into this. And I I think back to the days of paladins being very, very holy oriented. Um, If you wanted to have that flair with your paladin, you could very easily dive into this and and come up with something. Or just if your fighter praises a God and they're constant, they're very religious person. You could, this is a great chapter for you to look through and find those things and, and understand the history a little bit. I, I enjoy this kind of stuff because I do think that is, um, I don't know, I like I like being the paladins. I like having that kind of, um, I like the orders. I like finding those groups. And I think that is maybe some of the old school gameplay. Baldur's Gate, Shadow Zom, there's factions. I, even with when you get in with the, the deities and stuff like that, you can, you can have that be its own issue, right? Like you can be a champion of one and piss off the other. Like, I, I think that is every bit uh, two sides of a coin. And I think adding that kind of stuff into the game, like, you know, 
Elminster shows up in a game means something completely different for me than somebody else, right, that doesn't know who it is. And these are those kind of moments where you get a message from, you know, the goddess of comfort and sadness, like, cool for somebody and for somebody else who likes this kind of stuff, it's going to mean something heavy. And and it also dives into, like, we've seen uh, in Waterdeep the, that that those two adventures we saw a lot of cults we saw a lot of factions within Waterdeep, cults factions you name it this dives into those cults those religious cults so there are story hooks right there that a dm can use or or even like a somebody who developed their character and says you know what my my person um their my character their their father was murdered by the brothers of venom and I actively seek them out. And this is my goal is to destroy that cult. And maybe it's a little side quest or maybe it's a way for a DM to hook the entire party onto an adventure that leads them into Dwarven Hearth or whatever, looking for uh, this faction of the Brothers of Venom that happened to live underground. So there's ways that I think that that you can use this stuff that allows you to get into you know a little bit more depth with your stories. Uh, and, and create your own story within this because there is so much in this book that is already developed for you that you can just flip it open and run the adventure or you can take these ideas and, and you know, these story hooks that are dotted through here and create your own story. I actually, like I said, I really, really like this chapter. And I know we were talking about previously what we thought, what some of our favorite things were about what we've read so far. And I had said then that mine is actually the next chapter. And it's this, it's the fact that this is a prison world. The fact that, you know, this was created to trap the, uh, the, the, the chaos Lords and we were in the, and the life was created to to fight that. And I just think that's really cool. It's it's not just like flavor either. Like this actually does affect what your character can do because when you cast a spell that summons like a minor creature, like a flame elemental, like it was never really here. It's just a piece of like fire spirit. So it gets to go back home. But if you summon an, a celestial or a fiend or a fey, they don't get to go back. So if you're a, you know, if you've got six level spells and you summon a demon, well, when normally it's supposed to go home, <clears throat> on Tolis it doesn't. And it didn't know when it answered the call that it couldn't go home. Yeah. And, so, and that's that's important to mention, Zach, is like if there are spells that you cast that allow you to walk planes, you will not leave Tolis. You nope. are not going to leave Primus. You're stuck here. Yeah. It, the magic keeps everything here. Those spells just don't work. Yep. They just don't work. And so, yeah, you've got to be careful with Conjure Celestial because you get that unicorn that comes in and now it's stuck here. And maybe it's not going to be happy that it has to live with all of the evil stuff now. Like it's, it's really cool. <laughs> so again, so we're, we're coming, you know, our time is coming really short here. So I just wanted to do a quick recap of these two chapters and, and talk about what we liked, what we didn't like, or if there is anything that we didn't like, um, and, and just do a real quick recap. And then, um, yeah, we'll go from there. Zach, let's start with you on this one. What did you like and didn't like on these two chapters? Ooh, um, I love the, I love the world building. I love the lore. It's a great little way to be like, yeah, there's monsters out there. And you know what? They're all bad and you should go kill them. It's like, it's, yeah, you know, they're demons. Like, go nuts. They're all bad. Kill them. Fuck it. They're all bad. And you should just take them out. Um, yeah, the, the setup is great. It's perfect for being like a world of adventure while still having like a living, breathing world. Um, later on down, I really dislike the Church of Lothian. Because after showing something so, like, kind of novel and so cool, like, such a cool idea, um, the Church of Lothian, the most, like, widespread religion, is just Catholicism. It's just a crystal dragon Jesus instead of normal Jesus. But Lothian is literally a saint who was martyred and ascended to heaven. Like, gotcha. it's kind of disappointing. Yeah, I can see that. Nolan, how about you? Uh um you know i think again i like a lot of the ability to 
a good world to kind of play what you want since it is many races, many people get along. I think it's an opportunity to check out some of those things that maybe you wouldn't normally get to play, uh, of course, with your DM's permission. Um, I also like the the gritty stuff when it comes to the different deities and the different gods. Uh, it does have that old 3.5 feeling when there were just pages and the Pantheon was a big deal and, and they are actually out there um, to, you know, you could sit there and do a lot of stuff and you could be visited by one of these things at some point. Like it, that, that possibility is really wild to me. Um, and then again, all the way the stuff is laid out, having the page references, I really enjoy that. If it talks about somebody, it gives you the ability to go look deeper into that person versus just saying, Hey, he's somewhere in the book. You know, I, I like having all the references that they've done with this. Um, and the final part of this year that I really enjoy is, uh, I, I really like the cults. Um, I think those are some great, in their own way, many character hooks, right? Or adventure hooks. Running into the ebb and hand is a sign of, you know, they like campaign. It's its own little story. Interesting. Um, so let me go back real quick. I like the fact that there are so many races to choose from. And it's, it's rich enough that you can choose something that you can immediately start playing and not have to do a lot of trying to create different things whereas they still give enough time or enough leeway so to speak for them to develop more um i do think we'll see goliaths i do think we'll see some of those other races that that people really like in 5.0 because 5.0 is incredibly popular and you'd be foolish not to include them you want to sell as many books as possible so why not make it as enticing for as many people as possible on the business side i loved the chapter on on um the gods and, and just the world building in general like you both said I thought that was fascinating. And those are the kind of things that I really dive into. I do, I don't know, there wasn't a whole lot that I didn't like. Uh, the books laid out well, the artwork is absolutely stunning. And yeah, I just think it's a it's a great addition to your D&D 5e stuff. So, all right, well, next week we will dive into chapter five and six. It looks like we're going to be talking about the history. So we're going to see some timeline stuff uh, as well as I forget what the chapter six was. I just I had it in my head. And now it's gone. But we'll be taking a look at those things uh, late next week. Um, thanks, everybody, for kind of being patient with us. I know we've been absent the last few weeks and, you know, life gets in the way sometimes. Do you have either any final thoughts before we wrap up, fellas? No, not for me. Glad to be back. Well, it's good to see you both. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We will Bye. catch you next time. Bye.